Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. There are things we automatically desire to be as pure as possible, such as the water we drink, the steel used to make a high-rise office building, or the gold we wear in our jewelry. But today, John shares with us about a purity of a different kind in his message, making a commitment to live a pure life. You know, as I was thinking about purity this week and, and how God wants us to be pure in His eyes, we know that we are made pure when we receive Jesus Christ and He washes our sins away. And yet after that happens, God wants us to live with His help a pure life. And so I was thinking about that and I, I was in the kitchen and I looked at this hand soap. Now, I don't know if you ever read what hand soap says, probably not. But I looked at this one and it says it kills 99.9% of the bacteria. I don't know about you, but it's that one-tenth of one percent that has me concerned. Like, what is, this, what, what is lurking out there that this is not going to kill? But no, seriously, when we see that, 99.9% of the bacteria will be killed with this. If you're like me, you just say, well, that's probably good enough. I mean, if it was 95%, you'd probably say, well, that's probably good enough. And when it comes to hand soap, that probably is really good enough. But I think sometimes in life, we look at ourselves and we ask ourselves the question, am I pure? And instead of saying, well, I'm 100% pure, many of us would say, well, I'm 90% pure. I'm 95% pure. I'm 99.9% pure, but there's this one-tenth of 1%. It's really not that big a deal. I mean, one-tenth of 1%. We're not worried about that with our soap. Why should we be worried about it in our lives? We say, well, John, there's just one thing, this small part of my life, and it's really not pure but it's not hurting anybody. Nobody really knows about it. It's just it's just small part of my life. And truth be known, it's not what it ought to be, but it's not as bad as it could be. And I think many of us, when it comes to purity, have kind of settled in right there, and we say, I'm probably pure enough. Well, I want to talk to you today about purity. None of us are pure enough, and we should all be pursuing purity in our lives. Now, what I want to do in this message, I want to give you seven reasons at the beginning why purity is such an important thing and why we should all pursue purity. I'll say this, any one of these reasons by itself would be enough reason to pursue purity. But when you think about seven, all seven of these together, it's phenomenal. And then I want us to think about, at the end of the message, a necessary step that we need to take if we're going to live a pure life before the Lord. Now, I want to say this at the beginning. I'll probably say it again. But the odds are, that we're never going to be perfect until we get to heaven and until we see Jesus. We have the sin nature in us. We live in a world full of temptation. The devil is trying to get us to mess up. But remember this, we have the Holy Spirit living in our lives. And as I said last week, sin should be an occasional slip-up, not a lifestyle. It should be the exception, not the rule of our lives. Our lives should be lived pursuing purity, seeking. We, we say, well, I'm never going to be perfect. Well, that may be true, not until we get to heaven, but we should nonetheless pursue perfection and say, God, my desire is not to be 95% pure or 99% pure. My desire is to be 100% pure. 
so that I could honor you. Not so that I can go to heaven. I'm going to heaven because you've forgiven me, but so that these things that I'm going to mention can be true in my life. So why is purity so important? Now, number one, because God commands it. Look at this verse from 1 Peter chapter 1. The Scripture says this, quoting from the Old Testament, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God says, here's why I want you to be pure and holy, because I am holy, and I want you to be more like me. And so it is a commandment. As Christians, many of the things we do, we just do them because God has told us to do them. You're in church today. Why are we here? Because God told us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We tithe. Why? Because God told us to. Similarly, God has given us the commandment that we are to be holy. Number two reason, and the number two that that purity is so important, is that God deserves it. Not only does God demand it, but God deserves it. Remember, we belong to God. We're in His family. He has invited us in and adopted us into His family. And in a real sense, God has purchased us and bought us. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul said, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so God has bought us. We belong to him. I was reading even last night about Abraham Lincoln some 20 years before he became the president. He was an attorney. And at that time, his conviction against slavery had really not been established yet. It just, he hadn't really thought very much about it. But history tells us that on one occasion, he was walking through a city and he saw a slave trading facility where slaves, can you imagine this, were literally being sold to the highest bidder. And so Lincoln is standing in the back of the room and he's watching this and he's thinking, this is not right. This is, this is, there's something not right with this. Having no idea that he would one day become the president who God would use to abolish that evil institution. And so as one slave was being sold, Lincoln bid on that slave, on a slave girl. And he ended up buying her. And so she came to him, and they were walking down the street. And he looked over to her, and he said, you're free. And he said, she said, what does it mean that I'm free? He said, it means you're free. And she said, does that mean I can say anything I want to say? He said, it means you can say whatever you want to say. Can I do anything I want to do? Yes, you can do anything you want to do. As long as you don't break a law, you can do anything. Does that mean that I can go anywhere I want to go? And he said, yes, that means you can go anywhere you want to go. And that young lady said to Mr. Lincoln at that time, well, I want to go with you because you have bought me and you have given me my freedom. She wanted to be with him. Now, similarly, God, through Jesus Christ, has purchased us. And so we should uh, want to be with him. He deserves that. He owns us. And then the next thing here is that gen- genuine salvation desires it. If you have been genuinely saved, we talked about this last week, you should have a desire for purity. It's one of the proofs that the Holy Spirit is living in you. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be impure, but to be pure. He wants that for me too. Look at this verse in Romans 7. We read this and we can identify with Paul's struggle. Paul said, I do not understand what what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. Who hasn't felt that way before? Sometimes we sin and say, oh God, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I didn't mean to. I didn't want to. And there's this struggle. But think about this. At least Paul wanted to do right. And his want to, being in the right place, was proof that he was saved. So genuine salvation desires it. Think about this. True happiness comes from it. We all want to be happy. 
Everybody wants to be happy. Much of the world is in search of happiness. The question is, where does happiness come from? Well, we know that when God made us, He made us with a hole in our heart that can only be filled with a relationship with Him. No, it's a vacuum that only He can fill. But also, we find happiness through being holy and seeking to live a pure life before the Lord. Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, this is an interesting verse. These are words that God the Father spoke to Jesus the Son. And notice what God said. He said to Jesus, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. You've hated sin. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Obviously, Jesus never sinned. But God the Father knew that Jesus loved doing the right thing. He loved pleasing the Father. And he hated the thought of sin. And as a result of that pureness in the heart of Christ, God the Father anointed him. He gave him gladness in his heart that was greater than the gladness that Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and Thomas and those other disciples had. Jesus, had we lived in the first century, had we been one of the 12 disciples... One of the things that we would have noticed about Jesus, not only was he holy and kind and powerful, he's healing people, he's saving people, one of the things we would have noticed was how happy Jesus was. I think if, I don't know where they, if they slept, I guess they just kind of slept on the, many times like on, on a mountainside, but I sometimes envision them in tents, whether they were or not. But, you know, like, just play like that, that you and, and I and a couple others, we all shared a tent, and we got back in our tent that night, having been with Jesus all day, we're reflecting on the day. I think one of us would say, have y'all ever seen anybody as happy as Jesus? He's just happy. He's joyful. He's glad. Why? Because he was holy. The holier you are, the happier you'll be. And the unholier you are, the less happy you'll be. If you're a Christian, you can't be happy living in sin. You can't. None of us can. It makes us unhappy. It makes us feel miserable. True happiness comes from purity. Not only that, spiritual discernment depends on it. Spiritual discernment. Sin has a way of muddying our thinking. And it makes it where we can't think clearly. We can't process thoughts clearly. We can't even look at life and situations with much clarity. Our thoughts are scrambled and they're muddy. Sin has a way of doing that. But a pure life, if we're pure before the Lord, then we're going to be able to think more clearly. Purity opens up your mind to think better. Look what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a tremendous verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what does it mean we're going to see God? One day we'll see Him in heaven, but Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about here on earth now. We can see God in our circumstances. We can see God in our struggles. We can see God with the things that we're going through in life. And then, think about this, maximum usefulness is connected to it. All of us want to be used by God. Who does it? We want God to use us in some way. And yet, God uses clean vessels God doesn't use dirty vessels. Look at this verse out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. This will make you think. Paul said, he's writing to Timothy, now a young minister. And he's basically saying to Timothy, Timothy, I know you want to serve God. This is what Paul would say to our students today. I know you want your life to count for God. I know you want to discover God's plan for your life and do exactly what God wants you to do. But you need to remember this. Look what he says. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the Master to use you for every good work. And so, 
Paul is saying to Timothy and God is saying to us that if we want to be used by him, we have to be clean vessels. It just makes sense that God uses clean vessels. I mean, think about it. You, you use clean things too, right? This morning I was home and I made myself a delicious bowl of oatmeal for breakfast this morning. And so I got the oatmeal all ready and it was time to get the spoon to put in the oatmeal to eat it. Now think about this. Where did I get that spoon from? Did I go into the dishwasher and get a dirty spoon from yesterday that I'd already used? No, that would have been gross. I didn't do that. I went to a drawer, pulled it out. Here's my silverware. I got a clean spoon. I used a clean spoon. I ate the oatmeal. So we don't, we don't use dirty silverware. I, I hope in your home you're not getting dirty silverware out of the you know, unwashed dishes in the dishwasher. If so, I'd remind me not to ever come to your house to eat because that's not any good. We use clean spoons. Well, I mean, we don't even think about that. We wouldn't think, I wouldn't this morning have thought, I would not have considered. And I mean, I'm the only one who lives in my home. So, I mean, it's just my germs, right? But I would not have considered getting a spoon out of the dishwasher that had not been washed. No, I go to the dishes that have been washed, the silverware that has been made clean. And I get a clean spoon and I eat my oatmeal. And God says, well, that's how I do it. When I get ready to do something in the world, when I get ready to use somebody in the world, I'm not going to go over here and get a dirty vessel. I'm going to get a clean vessel. Now think about this. That spoon that I used this morning, it's not always been clean. It's been dirty before. But it has been cleansed. It has been washed. And it has been made clean. And that's how it is with us. Sometimes we're dirty. But God cleanses us. God forgives us. And then God says, now that you have been cleansed, Seek to live a clean life, and if you do, I will use you in a very, very special way. And then another benefit uh, to purity, and a reason it's so important, is that a clear conscience cannot be experienced without purity. There's nothing in the world worse than a dirty, guilty conscience. And there's nothing better than a clear conscience, a conscience that says, I have nothing to hide. I'm not living a double life. I'm, I am what I am. I am who I am. And God has forgiven the past, but in the future, I'm seeking in the present to live a clean life. Notice this verse in Acts chapter 24 about the conscience. Paul said, this being so, I, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God or men that I want to have a clear and a clean conscience. And so those are some of the reasons why purity is so important. I want to turn a gear here and turn a corner and ask this question. How can we be pure? I mean, again, any of those reasons by itself would be sufficient reason to say, man, I, this thing about purity, I've got to take this a little more seriously. I can't be satisfied to be 99.9% pure. I've got to pursue perfection. I won't get there till I get to heaven, but I've got to pursue that. So how can we be pure? Number one, you've got to have a desire for it. Without the desire, we don't have a chance. But if we're saved, we have that desire because the Holy Spirit is living in us, and He gives us the desire. He doesn't want anything in our lives that wouldn't be, wouldn't be right. And then number two, you've got to make a commitment to live a pure life. A commitment. In my notes, I wrote it this way. Without a commitment, nothing will come of the desire. In other words, the desire by itself is a good thing, but if there's not a commitment, the desire in the moment of temptation... When you're being pulled to do something you don't want to do, but in that moment, if the desire to do that is greater than the desire not to do that, you're going to do it. So in the moment of temptation, it's not primarily the desire 
that is leading us. It is the commitment that we have made a commitment before God that with His help and in His power, we will live a clean life. That's true in every area of our life. Here we are today, and you say, you know, we have, a, as a family, we have a goal, a desire to get out of debt. We have a desire to pay our house off. We have a desire to save some money. We have a desire to be debt-free, desire to pay off all of our credit cards. We have a desire for that. Well, that's a good desire. But unless you make a commitment that would lead to some changes, that desire is not going to get your house paid off, and that desire is not going to get you out of debt. That desire is not going to... Maybe you're here today and say, you know, I have a desire to lose 10 pounds. That's my desire. Well, that's good. If you need to lose 10 pounds, that's a fine desire. But the desire alone won't do it. I weigh, I'll give you this story out of my life. I weigh about 175 pounds. Sometime it can go up to like 180, 184. That'd be the high range for me. It can go down to 169 or 170. Depending on, my, my weight can swing 8 to 10 pounds in 3 to 4 weeks, depending on what I eat and exercise. And, but about 20 years ago, I was at 200 pounds. And my blood pressure was high, getting high. And I said to myself, I am too young to be having, I don't want to be on blood pressure medicine at this age. I need to lose some weight. I need to lose about 15 pounds. And so I looked at my diet and I made a decision that I was going to cut bread out of my diet, which meant that going to the Olive Garden was no longer going to be as fun as it used to be, right? Because I would eat Back 20 years ago, if I was at the Olive Garden, I would eat four, five, six, seven, eight breadsticks. And man should not live by bread alone, so some lasagna to go with that, pasta. Loved every bite of it, but I said, I've got to quit that. No more breadsticks at Olive Garden. No more thick crust pizza. No more biscuits. No more rolls. None of it. And I just cut it out. And within a, I don't know how long period of time, but I lost about 15 about 15 or 20 pounds. Now, at this point in my life, I'm not trying to lose weight. Occasionally, I have a biscuit. Occasionally, I eat some bread. But for the, I had made a commitment. Now, why was the commitment so important? Here's why. Because without the commitment, when I'm at the Olive Garden, the desire for the breadsticks is stronger than my desire not to be on blood pressure medication, right? I just have that. But the commitment, I made a commitment. And I said, I'm not going to eat bread until I get this weight off. And I didn't eat any white flour, no bread anyway, until the weight got off. And so the commitment is the important thing. Now, if you'll turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter number 1. This is the main verse. I've shown you those other verses, but I want you to mark this verse today. Daniel chapter 1. This is an interesting passage. Daniel, of course, a prophet of God. And Daniel, when he was about 16 years old, was living in Jerusalem when King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came to town, and that Babylonian army destroyed the city of Jerusalem, tore down the temple, set it on fire, and took most everybody who lived in, Israel, in Jerusalem. Most all of the Jews were deported into Babylonian captivity. We would say they were prisoners of war, and for 70 years, there they were in Babylon, and Daniel was one of those as a teenager taken to Babylon, and yet he knew God's Word well enough to know that there were certain foods that the people of God were not supposed to eat. Now, in today's, in the New, in the New Testament times, Jesus has said you don't have to go by those uh, laws. You can eat sausage, and you can eat shrimp, and you can eat whatever you want to eat. But back then, you couldn't eat that stuff. And so Daniel's in Babylon, and those people there, they didn't have 
those same rules from God. And so here Daniel is with three of his friends, and they have been appointed to a high-ranking government position with the king there uh, in this region. And they're offering all, these, all this food for Daniel and his friends to eat. But look at verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart, he resolved in his mind that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel looked at that food. I don't know all of it that it was, but Daniel said, we can't eat the shrimp. We can't eat the sausage. We can't eat the bacon. We can't eat that. And I don't know if the king is going to get mad at us for not eating it, but he had made a commitment back in Jerusalem when he was a teenager. I'm going to go by God's laws, and I'm going to keep God's ways, and I'm not going to do what God has told me not to do. And so he purposed in his heart not to eat that food and not to drink that wine. And God honored that. Look in verse 12. Daniel said to the person in charge over him, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. That's worse than the diet. I like to eat meat. They didn't even have any meat. Vegetables and water for ten days. And the people over Daniel said, if you only eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days, you're going to be weak. You're not going to have any energy, no carbohydrates, no protein, no strength. You're going to be weak if that's what you eat. And Daniel said, no, but if you'll let us do it for 10 days, vegetables and water, we believe that God will supernaturally empower us and sustain us and honor us for being true to him. Look in verse 15. At the end of the 10 days... Their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacy. At 10 days later, Daniel and his friends were stronger. Their skin looked better. Their energy was higher. They were better off than the people eating that sausage and and all the other stuff that Daniel said, no, I'm not going to eat that. And so God honored that. And what I'm saying today and what I'm encouraging all of us to do today as we think about purity in our lives and the importance of purity, and yet we think today specifically about making a commitment that with God's help we will live a pure life before Him. It's not just a desire. It is a commitment. I was thinking about my, my own life and I, things that in my life. I was thinking about today, for example. Why am I, at my age, standing here today, opening the Bible, preaching a sermon to you. Why am I doing that? Because on June the 12th, 1988, when I was 18 years old, I made a commitment to devote my life to the gospel ministry. I made a commitment. Now, before that time, I thought about it. I thought, I think that's what God wants me to do. I had a desire in my heart. I know that's what I want to do. I had the desire But had I just let the desire be by itself and not made the commitment, I don't know where I would be today, but I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be doing this. It is the commitment, not the desire, that sustains us in the tough times of life. And that's true in the area of purity. The first step to committing to live a pure life is to have a heart purified by asking Jesus to cleanse our heart from the sin that contaminates us. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Won't you pray with me now to accept the pure heart that you can have from trusting in Jesus? Simply say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me 
and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we encourage you to get plugged into a strong Bible-believing church in your area and tell your friends and family about how Jesus has changed your life. We have a booklet titled Pursuing Purity that will help you in your new faith journey and help you seek to live the pure life that John has been speaking of today. You can find it and others under the booklets tab on our website, peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond as he concludes his message, making a commitment to live a pure life.